0: All right, guys, welcome back to our last edition of Passport Playlist here on WSCFM For this semester. In HD1 this Columbia. Yeah, of the semester. We're not going away anytime soon. So, I mean, yeah. I am going away, yeah. but you can't get rid of me Can that easily. Going to Germany. I am. Abandoning me. Super excited. Mm, um, we you. hope that you all have been having a great week so far. It's not raining like it has been for the past few weeks here. Oh, my God. So, yeah. it's sunny, and I don't have to be wearing a jacket. So that's fun. How has your week been? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't get me started. That last week before finals.
1: So many breakdowns. I'm not going to lie. So many breakdowns. It's fine. It's fine.
0: So we are not going to tell you about our guest this week. We're changing it up. Mm -hmm. So we are going to tell you about our guest. Once they're here with us, we are going to play a little bit of music like we always do to lead in our guest. And while you're listening to the song, if you... Um, are not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, then please do so. Do our it. Facebook is just Passport Playlist, and then our Instagram is at, is at Passport Playlist. Uh, so definitely go out, follow us, keep up with all of our shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't think you can guess our guest by our music this time oh around, no. because it <laughs> is nice and eclectic. It is from, like, all over the world. You thought. Cannot guess. You tried. Valiant mm-hmm. effort, poor execution, my friends. We're going to get into the music before we bring our mystery guest on. So keep it here and keep it locked. All right, guys. Welcome back. It's time to reveal our guests. So today, our lovely guest is Professor Agnes Mueller. Is it Mueller
2: mm-hmm. is that how you say? It? You did All that right. Really well. Cool. <laughs> I'm
0: trying. My German is slacking. I just had German yesterday, so it shouldn't be. But it is. Here we are. This is the life, the life, the life that I live. Um, she is a professor of German and comparative literature here at our lovely USC. Um, and she's also the director of the Global Studies Program, and she is also um, associated with the Women's and Gender Studies as well as the Jewish Studies Departments because I looked at her webpage on the USC website, which is how I know everything. Um, <laughs> but we are, DJ Global Spins is going to take off um, for the first part of our interview, so be sure to listen in. And you'll find out where Professor Mueller is from, what she does here at the university, because right now it's a mystery. Because <laughs> right. I made this this decision this morning, and I was like, this is what we're doing. Um, so be sure to <laughs> listen in, and we hope that you guys enjoy it. So do you DJ Global Spins, do you want to go ahead and take it away? Absolutely.
1: Hi, everybody. Your favorite DJ, we all know. No. <laughs> false. <laughs> false information. You can call them with your Marvel opinions and your opinions on who's the best, me or DJ Audio Voyager. Anyways, so, we know that our guest name is Agnes Mueller, but we don't know where you're
2: from. Where are you from? Okay, so when you hear me talk for about three seconds, you will hear <laughs> that I'm from Germany. So, <laughs> I'm also very impressed with you guys' accents. Very really? good. Good job on the German. Um, <laughs> I have been here at USC for almost 20 years. Oh, wow. Which is what few people know, mm-hmm. but I have been teaching here for a long time. And I have been teaching German and comparative literature. And I now direct Global Studies, which is, I think, one of the most exciting and innovative and just (laughs) overall fabulous programs, not only actually on this campus, but in the entire Southeast, because we are doing such Mm -hmm. amazing things here with Global Studies that most other universities Mm -hmm. have only tried. And we have looked at what they are doing, and I think we're doing it much better. I think we have um, a way in which we have our program be really interdisciplinary. I can hear from you guys reading the news that you know a lot of stuff about the globe. And that's encouraging, that's wonderful. That always makes us super happy.
1: We're definitely big fans here of the Global Studies Program, DJ Audio Voyager. That's one of her many, many millions of majors. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I can't blame her because we're both the same way. But um, yeah, we're definitely big fans. Maybe one day the Global Studies program is gonna start um, rivaling or rivaling the business program, who knows? It might. Who knows? I could it's see it. It's a- very a- up and coming. Because what is
2: it? You've had two years with the Yeah, I mean it started in 2016 with yeah. zero majors and we now have over two hundred. It's definitely um, growing very fast. And we also have two hundred excellent majors. So <laughs> it's not just numbers that we're looking for. We're actually mm-hmm. looking for quality. And I think the reason why students find it so attractive is because you can design your own program of study. Mm-hmm. Which you really cannot do with most other majors. To that extent and plus you get um a really good grounding in liberal arts Mm -hmm. which means you're super well qualified when you enter the job market employers are really excited we very often have people come to campus who give talks and they're like wow your students are learning exactly what we're looking for Mm -hmm. because we do need people who can speak well we do need people who can write and think well and you're giving them that foundation plus they have one really in-depth knowledge in a concentration. Mm-hmm. Many of the global studies majors are double majors, so yes. that means they are really proficient not just in global studies but in one other area. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you also have your world region that you're focusing on and your 300-level language. So Absolutely. it's an amazing, <laughs> like, well-rounded liberal arts degree, and we are super excited. Or arts and sciences degree, you know, depending yeah. on which of the five areas you choose. So the thing in which it's innovative, really, is that we have five different areas of concentration. Most other global studies programs focus on either languages or on mm-hmm. political sciences. And we have really, you know, conflict and security being one of them, environment and sustainability, mm-hmm. which is very science So important. Yeah, and it's also a program that a lot of students find more and more exciting and mm-hmm. important for the future, obviously. Absolutely. The environment is. Um, in addition to that, we also have global health, because we have an excellent school of public health on campus, so you can combine that really well. Then we have leadership in the global economy, where we combine courses mm-hmm. with the business school. Um, so we t- And, of course, art and culture, which is close to my heart. Me so too. <laughs> there's just so much um, that you can do with that program, and that's why it's exciting, and it's wonderful to lead it, because I get to see so many aspects of mm-hmm. the university, really. Um, so I feel that my 20 years here have really optimally prepared me for running a program that encompasses so much. Mhm. Absolutely. And I would say that that's one of the things that like
0: because I didn't really know what global studies was until like probably last semester because I was majoring previously in political science and uh, and anthropology because I wanted something to like diversify me and I was like oh like I don't really know and then I found out about global studies and it like clicked automatically and I was like that's perfect because I love political science but I wanted to be more I guess like multifaceted in what I wanted to do and what I wanted to study and know about and I also wanted to be able to study German for hopefully like all four years and be able to study abroad for a whole year and all these things and then I found the global studies program and I it was literally perfect and when I went in to get approval for all my study abroad classes they're like yep you all come for global studies and I was like that's literally awesome and I just feel like it like meshes well with so many other aspects of like the College of Arts and Sciences
2: yes and study abroad is of course one of the most important aspects we're not requiring it but all of our global studies majors are studying abroad, some of them even more than one time. Yeah. So there's are study abroad that some people do just for their language, you know, mm-hmm. because you get more language proficiency, obviously, if you're immersed in the culture of the language that you're studying. But then also we have content study abroad. So you can go to a country where they really offer classes in English, but you're in a different setting, and mm-hmm. you get sometimes better content and more content than you would um, just on our fabulous but still mm-hmm. somewhat limited campus.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree. Because one thing I've noticed, I've have, I have a lot of like friends who are in the Global Studies program. And like you said, a lot of them are double majors. And it's just, there's so many different facets, like you said, to the Global Studies program and the fact that they're all double majors. I've never met a Global Studies major that is not an extremely passionate and ambitious person. Um, and that's just something like I personally really admire. Um I think it's so important like if you're going to be coming to college and you're going to be spending all this money and all this time
2: mm-hmm.
1: like why not go for something that you love and I just I really admire that about people who are in the global studies program but getting back to you yes so you came and you're here you've been here for 20 years did you go anywhere before uh y-
2: yes <laughs> where <laughs> well okay so I came from Germany I didn't come mm-hmm. here directly um I, so I, when I was young, I had no idea what I was going to do. Of course. When I was your age, I was in, I was studying um, German, actually, in Germany. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if you would be studying English here. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I chose German was because I figured that I was relatively talented in it, and it was a program I could get in easily. I did not have a perfect GPA coming out of high school, and mm-hmm. so it was something I could do. Mm-hmm. And also, I had to put myself through college, so I had to work a lot. And at the end of all of that, I thought, oh, I got my MA, which in Germany at that time was a terminal degree. And I thought, after my MA, I have never studied abroad. That's really kind of not great, because I was Mm -hmm. always interested in languages, and I always wanted to do things. So my friend told me about this university in America that she had just been to, and she said, oh, why don't you just enroll in that PhD program? You want to do a PhD anyway. And I had thought of a PhD, but not very concretely, and I knew that I didn't want to do it in Germany because it's extremely... Mm-hmm. Um, difficult to, it was at the time difficult to do as a woman and yeah. also difficult to make a career as an academic as a woman. So mm-hmm. I was like, eh, no. Mm-hmm. But in America, maybe. So I applied to different graduate schools and I ended up going to Vanderbilt because they offered me the best um, tuition package, and, mm-hmm. you know, p- tuition and um, ta financial package. And um, so I got my PhD at Vanderbilt. And then I uh, taught at the University of Georgia for a year, and it was an instructor position, not um, a professor position, position, which was good because I had to teach so much. I taught four classes every day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And the students had homework, so it was also great. great. Yeah. (laughs) And so after that, I knew that teaching-wise, nothing could phase me anymore, <laughs> like, I could do anything. <laughs> um, and so that was a really great preparation. I came here when I first came to USC. I started by teaching comparative literature, which at that time was a program that had just been revived because it had been dormant. And so I taught all these English and global literature courses that I really didn't know all that much about. So I had to research it as I was preparing to teach. Mm-hmm. But it was super exciting. It was nice to build a program up from scratch as a very new person, and as yeah. a person who wasn't even yet on tenure track. So I wasn't really on the faculty properly. But mm-hmm. it also gave me a lot of freedom to kind of do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so that was really great. And then I finally became, you know, properly mm-hmm. tenure track and um, was then a professor of German and comparative literature. And I've been doing research really um, in always in contemporary studies, so always post-1945. In Germany, post-World War II is really sort of an important area for obvious reasons. And that's what got me involved in Jewish studies as well, because Holocaust memory is still the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only, I would say, in Europe, but also just as a reference point for the world, really, to think about, you know, what humans did, what Mm -hmm. humans um, are capable of, what they um, need to remember, and what they also need to think about how to best remember and how to educate others on. So that's basically what my, my main research interest has been. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's been fantastic. I've gotten a lot of support from the university here. Um, I have um, published, uh, well, two books, really. The last book I published was on very contemporary literature and basically how contemporary literature looks at these issues of germans and jews interacting in germany today Mm
1: -hmm. so really that sounds like a very interesting subject Mm -hmm. because like as an american like we obviously don't understand that to the same degree because obviously you know we do study holocaust and we do study um these type of things but i i find that like as an american we don't have as much Mm firsthand interaction with the level of um, anti-semitism that sometimes occurs in europe and sometimes not even antisemitism, but just like the actual history that really resides there, right? That doesn't reside to the same degree that it does, mm-hmm. like in America, that it does in Europe. Um, but that's got to be very interesting. Like, how does it feel when you completed a book, when you published it, when it's out there?
2: Uh, well, first of all, you are like, I'm so glad it's done.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but
2: then, of course, you're like, oh, so what are people going to say, right? So then you get reviews and um, American. W- respondents or American voices are going to be different Mm -hmm. from European or German voices on a topic like that. So the Germans really didn't like to hear very much what I had to say, because Mm -hmm. my basic underlying thesis was there's still a lot of anti-Semitism. We don't always see it. Mm -hmm. We see it more when we really look at that literature, and we need to look very carefully and a lot of the Germans I talked to were like, "There's no anti-Semitism in Germany today. What are you talking about? We've dealt with that, you know, a long time ago." Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to. But some of them were also like, "Oh my gosh, this is such important work. You know, we mm-hmm. really need to consider um, all the different layers and the places in which we don't immediately see it." And uh, it's interesting what happens in sort of the more personal spaces and what happens in public spaces. So you can Absolutely. have really important memorials, and you know, the Holocaust memorial in mm-hmm. Berlin is huge. But yet, do people still harbor personal resentment, right? And how do you see those? How do you uncover those? Um, Mm -hmm. And you can uncover them in conversation when Mm -hmm. you get to know people, but you can also, and that's really the argument of my book, you can also really see it in literature if you look very closely. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, that's not something that everybody likes to hear about. Um so it's been interesting and it's been a, a really fantastic in many ways but also somewhat sobering reception. Absolutely. I had the German tr- I had my book I wrote it in English and then I had it translated into German. And so when it came out in Germany I <coughs> got a really nasty review by one of the major journals really? and they were like yeah because they were well it's a controversial thing for them to just accept it. And so that was interesting, you know, compared with the American and international reception.
1: Mm-hmm. That is so interesting to me, because um, one thing that's always been kind of interesting to me is, like, seeing, like, um, the way anti-Semitism manifests itself in Europe and the way that racism Mm -hmm. uh, manifests itself in America. We kind of talked about this when we had Dr. Fabrica Clemente, but there are just so many parallels. Mm -hmm. Like, you were talking, a lot of people, they want to believe, like, yes, this is eradicated, there is no more, it's done. Like, just because there's no more segregation, there's no more slavery, there's no more Jim Crow South. Right. Um, but like when you see like little things like the way it does manifest Mm -hmm. itself in literature and in Hollywood actually, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of, um, women of color actresses that complain because they only get cast in very certain roles. Like, um, like African-American women or black women, they get cast as like the sassy black friend. Right. And that's all that they're like is available to Mm -hmm. them. Right. Um, and like Latino women are always, uh, cast in roles that are supposed to have like a fiery temper and like Asian women feel like they're very confined to just a more like demure kind of role. Um, that type of thing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and so they feel like there aren't that many opportunities and when there are are opportunities they're so confined so that's very similar I think to literature Um, people just don't want to recognize the fact that like microaggressions definitely exist and they're um, things that are ingrained in all of us and Mm -hmm. it's like things that you really have to like reflect on yourself to really try to like pull it out it's something that's very very difficult but it's it's very interesting to see and you were talking about how like publicly there can be like all these monuments, like you were saying, that were memorializing. And if you even look at our state house, there is a monument there that is, um, it's designed to replicate a slave ship, and it has, like, um, little silhouettes and everything for how many there are. But then if you look at every other statue around there, it's praising people like Strom Thurmond, who holds (laughs) the record for the longest filibuster in history. And for those of you who may not know, filibuster is when um, you speak for a really, really long time in order to try to prevent a a bill or a law from passing. Um, And he did that with the Civil Rights Act in the 60s, I believe. Yeah, the 60s. And so people like that, people, um, there are a lot of, like, Confederate monuments, um, lots of things with, like, a very deep history Mm -hmm. related to racism. And so just having that one monument and then having all these multiple other ones just in such proximity. Right. It's like people think, so If so long as you put one monument there, it can't slap the others. Exactly.
2: Yeah, and also you have something to show the world that you did this, right? Mm-hmm. And you can be, s- and you can, you know, slap like yourself, yourself, on the back. yourself on the back and say, mm-hmm. oh, well, we did that, you know. And yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, I think, a very good comparison. And, I mean, the comparison between, of course, it's not an easy comparison ever mm-hmm. because historical moments are always different. But yeah. there is a level of um, structural comparison that you can make mm-hmm. between anti-Semitism in Europe and racism in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, One interesting thing on the flip side of that was, um, so I have three kids and my youngest is nine, and she goes to school here. And so some of um, her classmates found out that she's half German Mm -hmm. and that she goes to Germany in the summer. (laughs) And so they were like, oh, Germany, so you must like Hitler. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, you know, third graders. Whatever, yeah. They don't know anything. And so she came home and she told me this. And I said, oh, so you should go back tomorrow and ask them if they have slaves at home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. That's she true, didn't, though. You know, but it's true. It's like, yeah. the, so the prejudice is, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, there's 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 prejudice on, yeah. on, on all levels.
1: Absolutely. So it's definitely just one of those things. It's crazy because, like, there are, like, the historic differences, but at the same time, like, you can, like, see all these parallels. So mm-hmm. it really kind of goes back to, like, wow, like, humanity. It goes back to, the, like, the basis of humanity and, like, why are there so many parallels just in how we, like, systemically oppress people.
2: Right. And also how stereotypes not only form but then remain. Yeah. So And they,
1: they linger.
2: Uh, yeah. And, you know, we are enlightened and we are mm-hmm. supposed to be rational and we are supposed to have all of these strategies in which we... Mm-hmm. You know, don't have stereotypes and we don't categorize, yet we do, right? Yeah, and how it's do almost we do like that? a reflex and sometimes, yeah. which so is that's crazy. very interesting. I mean, the whole research into stereotypes is something that overarches, you know, that particular part of um, my project. So it's not only, mm-hmm. um, in a sense, it's not only about the specificity of mm-hmm. anti Semitism in Europe, but it's also really about cultural. Um, prejudice and cultural mm-hmm. conceptions of others and mm-hmm. structures that are um, happening in other places too. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So when you said you came to America, it was partially because you felt like you couldn't cres- like, succeed in um, a career in academia as a woman. Um, So what was that kind of like when you came to America? Did you experience something different in um, regards to anti-Semitism as well as like um, sexism? Like what were the differences? Like which one's better, which one's worse? Are they the same but different?
2: So I was totally new. (coughs) I had never studied uh, Americans Mm culture or history. So I was totally new to the concept of America. Mm -hmm. I had studied French and Italian, so I knew nothing. I was a total European in that sense. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I was 25 um, because I came, you know, straight out of like my MA and then for graduate school. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that time, I thought America was both incredibly open Mm -hmm. and incredibly provincial. Absolutely. And I was not prepared for the provincialism. I mean, Mm -hmm. I thought Nashville, you know, on the the face of it, it looked like a relatively big city. So I Mm -hmm. thought it was like one of the cities I knew from Europe. I had lived in Munich before, which is um, for Germany, you know, relatively big city. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that Nashville would be kind of like that. And it really wasn't. And I mm-hmm. was like, "What is this?" <laughs> so um, I whole another re-
1: world in Tennessee,
2: right? And also just the South, right? And yeah. how the South relates to the rest of the ne- and like I didn't when I chose Vanderbilt, I didn't realize that I was choosing a Southern university. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I had also been accepted to Berkeley and to NYU, but I couldn't afford those. So for me, it was all a question of or affordability, and I didn't know all the different cultural. And regional differences, mm-hmm. or I didn't know that they were so drastic. I had yeah. sort of heard about them, but not taken them. So that was a totally unexpected thing. Um, and for my overall sort of development, I think I really had culture shock if I look back now. Yeah. Um, I also then had reverse culture shock when I back, went back to Germany. Mm-hmm. For the following summer, this is something people don't think about enough, but it actually happens a lot. You're going to have to think about this. Um, <laughs> once you've lived somewhere else for an extended period of time, and a year is a long time, mm-hmm. um, you adapt and you work really hard to adapt. And so you actually have um, taken on, if you, especially if you're young and relatively flexible, mm-hmm. so you've taken on a lot of the cultural assumptions and um, sort of, mindset of your Mm -hmm. new host country, and when you then come back to your um, original residence of origin, Mm -hmm. you don't always know that there's going to be a huge clash. Yeah. And you're not prepared for it because you think you already know everything, and you think it's like coming home, and you think it's going to be easy, and it's not. And so the reverse cultural shock is actually something that most people totally underestimate, and that can be totally debilitating because you are not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I came back to Germany and I was like, why is everything here the way it is? Yeah. Like, so that was my main mm-hmm. difficulty. And so then I think for a while I was in between <coughs> and I didn't know where I was going to ultimately end up. Like, I didn't know if I was going to live in the United States or in Europe. Um, and I think my sort of process of deciding that um, had a lot to do with just negotiating the two mm-hmm. and also negotiating the differences between the two. And I just decided that professionally for me, America was much better. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a contest. And it is a more open society than Europe on balance. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of things in Europe that I really value and that I you know, wish I could just sort of bring over here and yeah. drop here and have. But it's not... Um, well, that obviously doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, too bad. But, it's, but I, I, you know, for, for for my working environment, I don't think I could be able to do the kinds of things that I can do here in Europe. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been incredibly rewarding for me to be able to teach and build programs and see them flourish and see students flourish in the way in which um, this is possible in, in mm-hmm. the United States and do you have
1: any like small things like just things you wouldn't have thought about that were like the reverse culture shock or culture shock when you came here
2: um so i think the main culture shock was i was walking on the sidewalk in nashville Mm. because a friend had told me that the grocery store was walking distance yeah and i think i walked for like half an hour and then back with groceries and i was like that's walking distance <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah. you know that's and true. I was the only one walking too mm-hmm. so it's just I mean that's yeah. a small thing mm-hmm. but it's actually shapes your life so much mm-hmm. if you spend time outside walking or if you spend time in the car all the time. so I yeah. then realized like oh I need a car because really I can't live
0: without a car yeah. if
2: we're honest so that's true. a that's a that's to me still the biggest difference. Um, when I bring my kids to Berlin, which is where we always go in the summer when we're in Germany, um, it's a huge difference for them because they go to school while we're mm-hmm. in Berlin. So they, I work. They go to school. Oh, they don't but get they summers off. Well, they oh, yeah. get some of the summers off. Yeah. It's it's good for them. <laughs> yeah, because <it's laughs> I good. would always get bored when I was little. Yeah. I'd be ready and to go their, back to school. And you know, they're guest students. Like, they don't yeah. have to really perform. I mean, it's sort of an experience for them. Yeah. So they go to school on their bicycle in a big city in traffic and everything. Yeah. And that would be unthinkable here. I would probably be arrested for child abandonment or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, that seems to be a small thing, yeah. but but it's big because it's every day. Mm-hmm. It's your safety. Well, yeah, it's every day. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's a lifestyle that mm-hmm. is really pervasive. So I, I think that's like one of the main um, things and That's I know it's transportation again, but <laughs> yeah, we
1: yeah. are. Hey, we're fans <laughs> of transportation here at Passport Playlist. But yeah, I think we're gonna jump into some music, some nice international music for which you have prepared us a nice little eclectic selection. And after that, we're gonna come back and continue talking about the education system in Germany.
0: All right, guys, it is the top of the hour here at WSC. The wind is blowing really hard outside, but it's still not raining, it's still holding out, only for me in particular. Um, So we are going to play some quick PSAs here. We hope that you all enjoyed those last few songs that we played. A diverse music selection we have today. So if you don't know where our guest is from, you still won't know because the music is not very indicative. Um, But it is, like I said, the top of the hour here at WUSC-FM in HD1 Columbia. So we are going to play some quick PSAs with the Save the Save the Manatees on there as usual. My last time playing it this semester. but we hope that you all enjoy it. And if you would like to call in, tell us your opinions about our interview so far, if you have any questions, um, or tell us your Marvel opinions. Um, not about Endgame. If you call in with spoilers, we have somebody screening the call, so you wanna even be successful. Mm-hmm. But call in and like tell me your predictions. Um, and the number for that is 803-576-9872. That's 803-576-WUSC. And we're going to play some quick PSAs and then jump right back in to our interview with Dr. Agnes Mueller. All right, guys, and welcome back to WUSC-FM and HD1 Columbia. This is DJ Audio Voyager, and I am back with Professor Agnes Mueller. Are you hanging in there? I'm
2: totally you fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm now, having a good time. Yeah. Either
0: some, like our guests are either like super clamped up all the time and like stressed <laughs> no. or super like chill and laid back. There is no, like I've not <laughs> experienced an in between at all with them. Um, so we've been talking a little bit about miscon, like about sort of like a, like discrimination in America and in the U S. Um, so what are some stereotypes or misconceptions that like you've experienced that people have about either Europe in general or like
2: Germany in particular? So I think that a lot of American stereotypes about Germans still revolve around World War II. Um, I think that a lot of it has to do with the way in which World War II has been represented in America. Also in some family histories, but also through film. So Germans are still like either Nazis or anti-Nazis. Like there's Mm -hmm. not much in between. And I think, you know, to some extent, that's totally understandable, given the history, of course. Um, it's also interesting because it shows that people need stereotypes and, you know, ways to identify people. And especially others, right? So if they if they see something that they don't know, then they want to hang on to something that they do know. And so yeah. a lot of people, what do they do know? Well, they know about World War II because you know, they've been taught that in school, and also because they've seen films that deal with it. And so I think that's one of the main um, conceptions about Germany. Um, some of the newer things that have happened in Germany, like, for instance, are the advantages, uh, the advances in technology, and especially when it comes to environmentalism, that kind of thing, is slowly getting into people's mindsets, but <coughs> not, ve- not, not pervasively, not on a broader scale. Um, And vice versa, I think um, Germans, a lot of Germans still think of Americans as um, politically strange. Like, they don't understand the American political system. They also truly don't understand it. (laughs) Like, that's Mm. part of it. Like, they, you know, have a conception of democracy that is very European shaped, and I think that still deals with trying to get rid of aristocracy really, Um, and so has not really... Um, internalized different democratic models the way in which America has. Germany also became a nation state really late, so there are all kinds of insecurities I think politically that Germans have for obvious reasons, and so I think, and and that then leads to um, inferiority slash superiority, right? So they're like on the one hand, we feel crappy because we know that we caused two world wars, and we're still dealing with the fallout from that. But on the other hand, you know, why do you have you know all these super conservative people, and why do you have a president that you know doesn't seem like a president to us? So there's a lot of that, and that's not only recently; that's been going on basically since the 1960s. So um, the interesting thing that I always tell my students is that in 1968, you had America, you had German. Um, students protest the Vietnam War as they were wearing Levi's jeans and drinking Coca-Cola, right? So on the one hand, they were totally assimilating to the sort of pop-cultural image of America and to everything that that conveyed. On the other hand, they were protesting the politics, and they were suddenly saying, you know, war is bad. Um, Which is only interesting because they were the children Right, of the people who were responsible for World War II. So in some ways, it was also acting out against their own parents, against their own parents' lack of resistance to World War II. And so that kind of gesture of, on the one hand, admiring and emotionally relating to, but on the other hand, trying to sort of um, be superior to Americans, I think, is still um, there. Um, in a lot of people and sometimes also not very conscious, right? So um, sometimes people have that kind of impulse and then you don't really know where it comes from. Um, and it manifests in different ways. Like, for instance, one of my friends in Berlin, he always says, well, you know, why is it that Americans don't use public transportations and ride their bikes and walk? Why do they still use cars so much? And I'm like, um, because the distances are much greater. So it would just be kind of impossible to have, you know, a a functioning system of public transportation in a city like Colombia. And he's like, I don't believe that. That's just, you know, because they're politically lazy. So, you know, so that's a typical reaction. Which might be true. It might be you know, somewhat true, maybe, but we do have the distances. Like We that's do, actually yeah. That's thing.
0: one thing that I've definitely, like, when I've been in Europe, it's super easy to take a train, like, 30 minutes, and, like, I love that, but also, it's not possible. Right. And like, LA, I, yeah, like, like, I'm from, I'm from um, Atlanta, and would you say right. that you taught at, at UGA, and I was like, oh, like, I know where that is. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Atlanta, by car is, like, three and a half to four hours away, Right. and Atlanta has, has public transportation with MARTA, And I don't know if you've ever used Marta, but it's, like, notoriously awful. My parents do not let me on it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, we have it, but, like, in cities it doesn't always work. But also Atlanta is, like, three and a half to four hours away by car. Right. And so it's, like, there's no way. Like, if it's, I mean, I'm, like, the Hague or, like, the Hague to Rotterdam in the Netherlands is, like, a half hour, forty minutes, but by car it's probably the same. Right. So it's like the distance is, I feel like, a really, really big yeah. obstacle. Like we literally cannot tackle. Like we can't make it a shorter distance. Right. And and it is. It two would places. probably.
2: I mean, if you had, you know, a, a a genius who figured out public transportation on a large scale, you could probably do something. But I don't know how successful it would actually be in terms of daily use, because I think people still have this impulse that they want to be able to get to places when they want to and not two hours later. And the problem when you have spread out geographies like you have in a lot of American cities as opposed to European cities is you can't run the public transportation as often because there are not enough people who want to go there. Exactly. Much. And so it's not like you just say, oh, you know, we'll build a train and then everyone is going to get on the train. It's it's really hard. And so it's that kind of um, misunderstanding that's partly just a misunderstanding of the geography, but also a sort of a prejudice of you know cultural complacency or political complacency, which isn't necessarily the case. So yeah. I think you know that's one of the um, things that always comes up. And you know every time I talk with my German friends, they're like, "Oh well, what political disaster? You know, <laughs> are you cooking up now?" <laughs> and also, what about the public transportation? <laughs> so, oh man, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's the biggest European. Um, or specifically German, actually, prejudice against America. I don't think it's um, the same all over Europe, but it's definitely a German thing
0: yeah and I going back a little bit to talking about how like the American view of Germans is centered around like World War II and kind of like ignoring everything else like one of the things I studied as I said earlier when we were talking I studied Latin in high school and when I came to college I was like okay like I want to start a new language and my family I live in Germany and my grandpa's German I was like okay German that sounds cool and one of the first reactions that I got from almost everybody I told was well German's such a harsh language such a like harsh language it sounds so rude and (laughs) awful and terrible and I think it's beautiful and like I Mm -hmm. love it And so I think um, one thing that I sort of, like, thought about, I was talking with a friend who is German. He's fluent. And I was talking to him about it, and he was like, well, I think that a lot of of Americans have only heard German in World War II movies Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when it's so, they're yelling, you know, they're yelling orders, they're seeing Hitler, you know, they're doing all these things. And and I was like, that makes a lot of sense because, like, German isn't the, like, for example, like, movies in French or Spanish or Mm -hmm. Italian are much more common in the U.S. market. So, like, you hear those in other concept, or er, not other concepts, other context rather, mm-hmm. outside of this one historical event And so I think that That is like Something interesting That I've talked about With my German my German professors And they've been like Yeah like that makes sense To me too That like That's the only context That they've heard The language in right. So they think that In class all day I'm just like yelling At my <laughs> professor About like different things And then I, I, I um, Have a friend Who also studies Russian And she hears the same thing mm-hmm. Is that people are like They only see Russians In like spy movies When right. they're like The bad guy And they're mm-hmm. yelling, yelling again and they're In their you know, na- native language mm-hmm. And so she was like I experienced that a lot, too, is, like, Americans only hear these languages in specific contexts, and then that kind of, like, expands to their entire view
2: of the language. Yes, I think that's totally true. I also do think that German is, you know, harder than Italian. Yeah. And Russian also. Like, I mean, there's a different sound, obviously, to different languages, and, um, you know, that ties in some ways to the culture, so it's not entirely, you know, without any um, reason. But the way in which um, people then generalize, you know, yeah. that's, I think, the problem. Um, and German can be incredibly musical. Um, you know, some of the poetry from the 18th and 19th century is incredibly musical. And um, Germany has produced really great literature, which, you know, we sometimes forget when we just watch World War II movies. So um, I think that if you sort of consider all of the aspects of a culture, you're going to get a much more Um, in-depth and accurate picture and I think that's really true for other cultures in the world and you know again to come back to global studies that's why it's also interesting to study them in comparative perspective so in other words you know if you have an experience in Germany and then you have an experience in I don't know um, Russia or in South Africa um, you're going to have more than one non-American experience to tie things to and that'll be interesting too so Um, that sometimes sheds new light on the one sort of back-and-forth comparison that you're making, and that really... Gives you more of a three-dimensional view, and that's actually something um, that I'm hoping for the global studies students. It's something that, you know, I have been fortunate because when you grow up in Europe, you just get to travel within Europe, but you get to travel relatively easily, um, and most young people do. And so um, you 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 kind of have to, but you also automatically do learn so many different languages, and so you get a multi-perspective view relatively early in life, and that's really so good because that enables you to not only see cultural prejudice and stereotype, but also to understand why, right? Why do people see things that way? And, you know, what is it maybe about my own prejudice that um, I might want to adjust and things like that, so.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's something, like, after I went abroad for the first time, I was only abroad for nine days. Mm -hmm. And I came back and it completely changed my life because I had never, like, been out of the country before. And so I remember I worked um, at a retail store, like my entire senior year of high school and like um, up to when I I, I began college. And we would have people who came in who, you know, would be from Mexico or Mm -hmm. they would, you know, be from Europe and their English wouldn't be that good. And I would, you know, be like trying to like work with them and, you know, like talk with them and, you know, facilitate like transactions and things like that. And when I went to Italy and had to be on the other side of that language barrier, not knowing anything and feeling, you know, terrible about it, it really did expand sort of how I felt like mm-hmm. then coming back to America mm-hmm. and being, being able to be fluent in the dominant language right. and so I would say that that was definitely like a super valuable experience for me just yeah. to be able to like experience it because it's different when you like read about it and you mm-hmm. see it from like outside but yeah. then to be in that situation and be like oh crap like I don't <laughs> like know how to like navigate this kind of like mm-hmm. relationship with this other person Yeah. Um, so it was definitely really interesting for me and I feel like it's an extremely valuable um, thing that I'm really really happy that I did when I was younger because mm-hmm. I feel like now coming into college you know being a a global studies major, being a um, political science major, it really does help how I frame things and how mm-hmm. I see things, um, because I understand that there isn't just like one viewpoint, and that there are so many things that impact, right. and like, and that like nothing occurs in a vacuum. Like there are all these things. Um, well, and also and the other thing is,
2: this is the time of your li- in your life when you can do that, right? I mean, it's going to be so much more difficult. If you are fortunate, you might have a career where you can include. That kind of um, exploration of the world, but in most careers you can't, or you yeah. can't very easily, or you have other obligations. And so this is really the time in your life to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I could not be more enthusiastic about study abroad. So
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so... USC prides itself as a very, like, international university with a lot of, like, international connections. Um, And do you think that there is anything that USC could do to, like, improve its international outreach
2: or, like, internationally, like, minded programs that we have here? I think that in the last few years, we've already really um, sort of upped the ante in in many areas. Um, We are also doing much more concerted efforts in recruiting international students to come here. I think that's really good because you know it's also important for our students who don't study abroad, who can't study abroad, to see a really sort of international um, community of students on campus. Um, I think in addition to the recruitment and to the um, things that you know we're trying to do with Global Studies and the things that we're trying to do through study abroad, um, the most important other thing is for professors like myself to be um, connected internationally Um, not only by going, I mean, like, I love to go to new places, also not just to Germany, but um, I love to present my research in new contexts, and I like to see how people do things at other places. Um, So I think as faculty work, and then also work collaboratively with um, international counterparts, that's going to be hugely helpful. Um, I just, this morning I was at... um, discovered uh, at USC, and I was actually really amazed because there were a bunch of international students, also a lot of global studies students, presenting their projects, and a lot of them were internationally geared. Not all of them had an international component, but a lot of them. And so I think in our work, if we can um, include that um, outlook, it'll really um, help us as an institution to grow, but then of course also help us each individual to um, grow in what it is that we do. Um, and I think that's really a call to everybody. You know, think about your um, international colleagues, not just the colleagues that you always work with all the time already, but the people who are somewhere else and what can you do with them and what kind of perspectives um, do they have on your work. So I think that's the most important thing actually.
0: Yeah, and I think I think especially with, like, the international business program, like, so many of the students that we've had on the show this semester are, like, yeah, like, you know, like, I'm studying IB. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I do. And, and a lot of the kids that I study German with are international business students. Um, but I think that's something that's really interesting for me is, like, being a language student. And, like, I would really love to see the university, um, like, focus more on languages and, like, mm-hmm. beef up that program a lot because I feel like the international business program is so big. But, like, like taking a language is a required, po- like, Portion of their curriculum and they have to do it so I really I'm like excited to mm-hmm. hopefully see like where the university goes in like building those language programs because I, I feel like they really like this is my opinion but I feel like they really should do it because mm-hmm. if it's required like why would you also not fund like that right. part of your program Um, But I definitely like as I've gone through college, and I'm only in my second year. But as I've gone through, like I have seen our own university sort of like a like um, like expand and its Mm -hmm. international you know focus and things like that. I mean, I'm in class all the time sitting there, and and my professor will say, "Oh yeah, we have this person from this international university," and I'm like, "That's really cool that they would you know come here to Mm -hmm. USC." Because when I first came here as a freshman, I didn't really realize how many international connections there were. Mm -hmm. But getting to know more faculty, getting to you know do work and stuff like that has really opened my eyes to how connected we really are and I feel like it's it's something that students at USC even if they can't study abroad being domestically like or being domestic rather they should they can like can Mm -hmm. still take advantage of those connections and I think that's something that USC offers that's really, really unique and really um a great advantage to all of its students.
2: I think that for you know where we are, I mean we are in South Carolina, Mm -hmm. we in terms of the funding that we get as a university, you know, we are not that well funded, if you compare us with peer and peer aspirant institutions, which is always sort of the benchmark of how are we doing, we're doing extremely well in our international projects and outreach. But that doesn't mean that it couldn't be better, right? Um, So my own department is, of course, the languages department, which I've known for a long time because I've um, lived in it and taught in it for a long time. And the only um, sort of... uh, issue that we sometimes have is that the university language requirement is limited, so if you're not a languages major or a global studies major, you only have to take language up to 122, which is not a lot, right? Um, I mean, if you're taking, if you've already had Spanish in high school, and then you come in with some Spanish and you're only taking up to 122, that's not a lot of language requirement. Um, On the other hand, of course, nationwide the trend is to require less language, very often in favor of the professional schools because they don't want to because they feel that it takes away too much time from, from the training that they want to give. So it's kind of a little bit of a you know balance uh, struggle thing and of course I'm always going to be an advocate for a language mm-hmm. programs too you know that's not hard to figure out but I also understand the other forces and I understand when a college says we really cannot require more than 122 yeah. because we have these other things you know that are really crucial to our disciplines and that's what people need to mm-hmm. you know pack into their four years that they have so in that sense it's a, it's it's an administrative um game to some extent but it's also um, I think 120 the 122 requirement is a good compromise um, and then those students like yourself um, you know who self-select and who want to take more languages of course always can um, in terms of other languages that we are um, offering we're right now exploring and this is still very early days but we're looking at maybe um, trying out Korean as a new language actually it, we've had it on the books for a while Um, So that's something that we're going to try and test. um, And I think that'll be interesting um, to see... Um, how much student interest there is, and how that um, goes with our existing Asian, stu- Asian um, languages and Asian studies program, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, that's definitely interesting. So maybe if you're listening and you want to study Korean, <laughs> you can keep looking out on your degree works. If yes. you can, if you understand degree works, which I will give you a high five for because oh nobody does. I can never. If it, <laughs> if <Faculty> it, don't. <laughs> issue number one is getting degree works to load. <laughs> right. Issue number two is getting to be able to understand it and have <laughs> things show up because normally they don't. So that is the problem. All right, guys, we are going to get into some more international music here. We hope that you have been enjoying our interview so far, uh, so far with Professor Agnes Mueller. I cannot talk. I'm like in a daze, but it's fine. We're, we are getting through it. Um, so we are, like I said, going to play some music and then we're going to get back into it. So as I always say, keep it here and keep it locked on WUSC's Passport Playlist. All right, so guys, <laughs> welcome back. You are back with Passport Playlist. It is me, your favorite DJ Audio <laughs> Voyager. And I... <laughs> she's offended. DJ, DJ Global Spins. very offended. Lee. Um, we are back with, with Professor Agnes Mueller. Um, and so you were talking about like some of the classes that you're a part of at USC that you teach. Um, and you were also mentioning the Global Cafe program. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yes, the Global Cafe is... Um, a gathering that we organize once a month for the Global Studies majors, but any other interested students are, of course, welcome to join. Um, And what we do is we bring in speakers, and we very often bring in speakers who are not academics because we feel that you guys already have a lot of professors that you have to listen to all the time. Yes. So so we try to bring in other people. Um, Very often they are alumni, They're in the workforce, they're doing really interesting things, Um, they have had fascinating careers, and they can tell you about their career paths and they are also excited to do that, because most of them are super excited about global studies. Um, For instance, we brought in the Consul General of Brazil about a year ago. Um, He's now actually in Venezuela. He is uh, um, an honors alum, and he um, actually, I think, uh, was doing international studies at the time. Um, And he talked at length about his career with the State Department. And he also talked about the differences between the Peace Corps and working for the government, You know what's the difference between nonprofits and working for the State Department, that kind of thing. Um, he also talked about how he got from one assignment to the next. So he didn't just talk about his current um, job in Brazil, but he had so many interesting things to say. He was also a really great person just to speak with. He has amazing connections all over the United States and in other countries. So he was also super helpful to the students who attended and who said, oh, you know, I'm looking for an internship in this area, do you know anything? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we try to do with the Global Café. Um, we just recently had, um, the last Global Café we did was with uh, in conjunction with the Columbia World Affairs Council because they sometimes host interesting speakers, too, and so we partner with them to bring people in. Um, So the last one that we had was um, the CEO of Global Ties. And Global Ties is a Washington, um, D.C.-based nonprofit organization that brings in uh, foreign visitors and connects them with um, people in the United States. So, for instance, if um, Diplomats want to come from, let's say, Saudi Arabia. And they're saying, you know, we really want to know about, um, I don't know, the oil industry in the United States. Mm -hmm. Then she finds them partners Mm -hmm. locally that they can go to. That's what her organization does. Um, So she talked about that, and she also talked about her career and what she had been doing before and how she got into doing what she's doing. And so um, we try to bring in people like that that can really be inspirational for the students really beyond the classroom um, and looking out. towards um, all the opportunities that are out there that I, of course, don't know because I'm a German professor, so what do I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a way for us to really showcase everything that you can do. And um, we also had an alum who is a uh, College of Arts and Sciences alum who um, is now based in Maryland. He actually directs the why of Maryland, and you will ask me, what does the why of Maryland have to do with anything global? Um, Well, so he had this amazing international career where he was the CEO of the most successful for-profit international education company. And all of his experiences with that, so he worked in Madrid, I mean, like, he worked in many different places. And all of his experiences with that, he brought back to Maryland, where he now is, and he made the Y of Maryland into, like, the model Y, you know, of everyone because he understood so much of how to work with different people in different contexts and in different places and so he was also incredible just as a speaker to hear how he used his international experience locally so it's not just about people who are you know in all these exciting places working doing whatever it is that they do but also how do people then combine on, and and compile their international experience to make it meaningful for something that they do locally. Yeah, I so think so. That's the global cafes, and I, I we do them usually on a Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon. Um, sometimes, if it's in conjunction with the Columbia World Affairs Council, it's lunchtime on Wednesdays because that's when they have their thing. So it's at slightly different times sometimes, but it's um, at least once a month, and it's always fantastic.
0: Yeah, and that that sounds like not only as a global studies major for me but also because like my parents um, uh, um especially my dad whenever I you know tell him like oh yeah like I'm in a class on this or I'm in a class on that he asks me every single time so what kind of job are you gonna get right. with your major which right. I feel like not only him but like so many other people ask yeah. me and when they say it they kind of sound like snotty <laughs> or not, or not like they don't mean it like deliberately, but it just comes off as like a, what are you doing with your life sort of thing. <laughs> and so I feel like it is, it would be like so nice to like be able to hear somebody say like, this is what I majored in and I have a job and like, here's mm-hmm. what I do and I love it. <laughs> and so I feel like that would be like inspiring for me. Cause I know in my head, like I can get employment, but I feel like it would be really, really inspiring for me. Cause like I'm studying what I want to study and it is kind of scary to be like, what can I do with all mm-hmm. these random classes that I've taken in college? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like that is such like a great resource yes. for global se- kids to be like you can actually go out and do this and like you there are so many connections and you know mm-hmm. people who
2: do this all the time right and so some of the global cafe speakers are also really good for actually approaching them and asking them about internships because if yeah. they, their organization doesn't have any openings they might know somebody so they and they are interested in helping you know because if they are alums or if they came here and had a good time which we always make sure they do. Um, So, but especially if they're alums, they're going to be super excited to help another USC student. Um, So that's a really good network that we're trying to use. And we don't have global studies alums yet because it's such a new program. Um, So that's why we're trying to find other people who've made a really interesting international career or a career with international aspects or a career with a company that operates internationally, something like that. And I feel like that's sort of the practical application that sometimes is missing from a business degree. So if you get a degree in international business and you know a lot about certain things, you know, that's that's really useful for your first job out. But what you're going to find out when you talk to these people who've been employed for many years is they change careers, right? So they don't just start out and then stay with the same thing for the most part. They move around and they have to be flexible. And they also have to not only consider different locations, but they also have to really consider different size companies, different Um, people that they work with. I mean, there are just so many aspects to how they have to be flexible. And that's really one of the things that I can't emphasize enough that, first of all, global studies is really trying to give you is that flexibility to move with what it is that the market demands, but also to recognize what your passions and your talents are, and then to go with that. And that's always the best, right? If you're really inspired by something, that probably means you have a passion and a talent to also go in that direction, and so if you see it, and even if you just see a two-hour talk or a two-hour Q&A, we actually don't encourage talks. It's they give a 10 to 15-minute presentation, and then it's all conversation. So, you know, students ask them questions, and they sometimes tell really interesting things that they didn't even mean to tell, <laughs> but that are super, you know super great insights and that they themselves often come away from and say, oh, wow, this was so great to actually talk with young people, you know, who are excited about this. So it's just a really great forum, I think, for everybody.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it's really inspiring um, also to be able to just see that. Um, So we are going to play some quick music, some quick PSAs, and then we are going to jump right back in. All right, guys, welcome back to the last part of our interview here, unfortunately. Um, not unfortunate about the interview, and unfortunate about the ending. That came out, my words came out really, really <laughs> wrong order. She's looking at me and smiling, so I hope that she's not offended. Um, with Professor Agnes Mueller, the director of the Global Studies program, it's been a long day. I mean, it's only like 1.53, but I have to be up till 2 a.m. tonight. So, <laughs> getting ready for end game people, it's getting closer. Um, so, if there is one thing about, we haven't really talked about Germany, that much we've talked about like Europe in general a little bit more um so if there's one thing about Germany in particular that you want people to know what would it be
2: oh ooh, I haven't been asked that in a while um <laughs> so one thing in particular is that actually German society is a lot more diverse and a lot more um open and mindful than a lot of people think it is. So in spite of what I just said my book is about (laughs) which is Mm -hmm. all the stereotype and prejudice, um, which I think is also true, um, there's a true real attempt on the parts of Germans to be completely um, open and thoughtful of the environment in particular, to use technologies in good ways, um, you know to really be the leading modern European state. Some of that comes out of the past. You know, nobody really wants to slide back into anything that's been associated not only with the Holocaust, but also with the um, East-West divide that Germans had to struggle with for a while and that they then had to overcome and so on and so forth. So I think there's actually a lot of openness um, at least in terms of what people want to be. Um, Most of the time that also works. The other thing that I think is really interesting is um cities in Germany are really different from each other, so the regional differences, for instance, between Berlin or Munich or Hamburg, I think are significant, even though people move around a lot and are you know cosmopolitan and you know global and have all traveled to wherever um Germans love to travel, so um chances are that they've been to lots of places. but I think the regional differences are still there. Um, and are also now, again, valued. Like for a while, people really thought, oh, we have to pretend to be sort of pan-German in some way um, that we don't allow for so much regional difference, but now that's coming back, and I think that's a really nice thing um, because it also lets people be more relaxed about their heritage and where they're from and in some cases even also be proud of that um, and not only identify via... You know, Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. So I think that's definitely a new thing that came with the new generation. Um, I also think that if you see Germans elsewhere, um, you know, we used to always say, I mean, especially as I was growing up, that. You know, Germans were terrible tourists, they had like incredibly inflexible opinions about everything, Um, they were sort of bringing their own food from home because they didn't trust any other food. I don't think that's true anymore. Um, So I think in that sense, Germans have really evolved, um, partly because they had to, but also partly because they put a lot of effort into it. Um, So I think that in terms of, and of course in terms of Holocaust memorial culture, what you see, Is important, so you know. I'm not saying that that's not important. I'm saying that we have to look for the other things too. But what you do see is a true, real effort um, on the parts of a lot of people to make things better.
0: That's really interesting answer. That's, yes. that, that spanned A lot of different things um, I like especially What you mentioned About like a, like um, Environmentalism Because mm-hmm. I feel like That's something my mom You know She told me that Even like in the 80s When she lived there That they had You know Like eight different Like recycling bins yes. And that that was something That even for her You know being young That she was really shocked by mm-hmm. Was like oh my gosh Like this is you know Yeah We don't even have A recycling right. um, bin at home And so I feel like That's something That like a lot of Americans Think about when they Think about Germany mm-hmm. Is um, they think that They're all like Super liberal and that they all <laughs> love windmills. Um, that's something that somebody told that me. That
2: is not true. Um, there are a lot of Germans who hate <laughs> um and so I feel
0: like I feel like it's something as with like all countries but I feel like especially Germany because of like the one-sided um viewpoint that a lot of people have with like only like the Nazi era mm-hmm. um, and so I feel like it's interesting to kind of get like your perspective as a native German um, about some of like the other things that we might not think about so much um would you say that the regional differences between like the Hamburg and Munich like, Munich like the cities that you mentioned would you say that they're bigger than the regional differences between like other Like our American cities. Yes,
2: I think there has sort of a general American identity that is pervasive. Um, Even if even (laughs) even if you're a southerner, right? (laughs) So you still have an American identity that underlies that. Mm -hmm. Um, That you know you can move to Ohio and not be an outcast or be completely lost, unless you choose to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also it's Ohio, so... Right. Um, whereas between North and South Germany, or also East and West, there are really um, differences that are <laughs> centuries ingrained in, in many ways, and that also have to do with local dialects. Of course, in cities you don't have as much dialects, but you still kind of have it. Um, and I feel like it's stronger than in the United States, because the U.S. is... Uh, really mostly comprised of people who came here, right? I mean, that's the majority of people. Everyone came from the outside and had to assimilate. That's not Germany. Germany is a country that grew over a long time, and people were in one place and stayed in one place for a really long time. So that place really shaped them. So therefore, I think, yes, the regional differences are definitely more significant. Um, Not insurmountable, but when I was a kid, I moved from way north Germany to a small village in Swabia, which is southern Germany, and I never I was seven and I never got over the cultural shock of that. Never in my life. Like I I didn't speak the language, I wasn't culturally aware of the customs there, and I basically <laughs> never got over it. And it I mean it worked out for me because my grandfather said to me, he was also not from there and he said to me, if you ever speak like the people in this village, you're never going to leave. And I was like, oh, I better not speak like that. (laughs) Because there was such a strong dialect. And the dialect also was what the people identified with. So it wasn't just a dialect as in a way in which they spoke. It was also a dialect that said, we are us. And if you speak differently, you're weird to us. So, um, and it's not like that anymore. But there's still residual stuff from that time. And it's what I grew up with still. So it definitely still exists. Yeah, so definitely. I think that's, you know, um, that's important. And um, that's still there. Yeah, and I feel like that is a really a really interesting
0: point with, like, America is a country of immigrants. And, like, in Germany, it's, mm-hmm. like, there are immigrants, but it's not, like, a country. Like, it's not right. referred to in the same way. And, and like, it's just not the same. Yeah. So I feel like that's a really interesting point that I haven't heard before, but that definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and also studying German, I've heard a lot about, like, the different dialects. and I And I have a friend who speaks... He was, like, fluent in German, and he's, like, I could never even understand someone from, like, Bavaria. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, I'm never going to be able to understand it. And so I feel like that's also something in America. Like, you can pretty much, like, those dialects really aren't there as much as I feel like they would be in Germany. So I feel like that's something else that kind of, like, because, I mean, I've gone to New York City and, you know, like, Dallas and, you know, Florida and... Nebraska and I can understand everybody and yeah. those like big white expanses and then in like the small country of Germany and like smaller yeah, country yeah, totally. of Germany it's
2: tiny by um,
0: yeah by by comparison to the US I feel like it's just so much different which mm-hmm. is like super interesting mm-hmm. um, that in such a small area you can have such wide expanses um, a variety and diversity. All right, guys. It is two a clock on the dot, two o one. Now we've converted over um, here at WUSC FM and HD one Columbia. Thank you guys so much, not only for listening today to our interview with the lovely Professor Agnes Mueller, but also for listening to us this semester because today's the last show, which I kind of forgot about until right now. Um, <laughs> but thank you guys so much for listening to us this semester. Um, I will not be on next year. I will be abroad all year. Um, in Germany, yeah. In Germany, <laughs> um, after Sons. Um And so that is where I will be. So maybe if you're there, hit me up and we can hang out. Um, but DJ Global Spins will be back next semester with Passport Playlist. Um, so she will be here keeping it. Um, on for you guys, but I will not be here, so please tune in next semester. We don't know when our show will be next semester, but if you're already following us on Instagram at Passport Playlist or on Facebook at Passport Playlist, then you'll know because we'll post it, so you'll already be in the loop. Um, Definitely also stay tuned to our podcast. We're going to be continuing that next semester. I say we, but it's not going to be we anymore. It's only going to be DJ Global Spins, um, which is so sad. Oh my gosh. Um, But thank you guys so much for your lovely support, not only of us, but of our entire station in general. It really does mean so much to us and so much to me that i've been able to be part of a real community on this show of people who listen to our show every week who subscribe to the podcast who call in every week who message us every week um and so it really just has meant a lot to me and i'm really really happy that i got to be on such a cool show this semester um so thank you again to to professor agnes Mueller. do you have any any parting words
2: my parting words are that it's really awesome that you guys are doing this i'm of course happy that you're going to be in Germany next (laughs) year, because I think everybody should do a study abroad, and I think Berlin is a fantastic place to do that. Um, It was totally fun to be on the show, so thank you. Thank you so much, DJ Global Spins. Yeah, it was absolutely
1: fabulous to have you, you. and again, you are a fabulous co-DJ. One of the best, mm -hmm. in my opinion, my professional Not the best, though.
0: Keep in mind. One
1: of. One of. We have to reserve the best label for the, like, leaving seniors, but... That's just, you know, a formality. Like, we know. We say one of with quotation marks around it. But, yeah. It was just really great to have you. And thank you to all the lovely, lovely listeners for making my first semester as a DJ so great. And I love, like, listening to the calls.
0: Bye. All right. Bye, guys. So, keep it here and keep it locked on WUSC-FM and HD1 Columbia.